Hi and welcome to the podcast You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Richard Herring, podcaster extraordinaire, and we sat in my flat in London and talked about things like family and safety and the fear of death. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. I certainly enjoyed having the conversation. Uh, Richard is a really interesting person to talk to and somebody who's kind of made his own empire um, out of his own efforts, which I think is always really, really admirable. Now, uh, I'll give a quick update of what happened with the Amazon Prime video. If you want to skip ahead maybe um, three or four minutes, you'll avoid that and the plugs, but uh, I've been getting a lot of questions. I'll do a full-on Q&A episode, I think, next week, uh, answering all the questions people have been asking. But basically, I I flew in to uh, Melbourne from Sydney. I, I stopped in Sydney beforehand to visit Redleaf Pool and see the mural of my mum there. Um, I felt like that was a nice thing to do. I'm not I'm not superstitious, but uh, it felt like a, a good thing to do and go for a swim at Redleaf Pool and get myself into the headspace of that show. Uh, and then I flew to Melbourne and I arrived uh, I arrived the day before, slept in a really nice hotel that they put me up in. And the next morning at 8 a.m. I went for the group photo shoot, um, which was with all the other people who were who had been commissioned to do this Amazon Prime uh, special. There are 10 that have been commissioned and they were all they're all sort of um, all bar one or two very high profile Australian television acts. So it was sort of a little bit intimidating being in that kind of company, particularly knowing that I'd chosen this very uh, non-traditional show to do. Uh, so then we did the photo shoot. I tried to remember all the advice that uh, my twin brother Henry gave me from his brief period as a male model, <laughs> um, you know, about you know making interesting shapes with your body and reflecting light. Um, and uh, not having a tense jaw mainly those are the those are the things and then I went back I had a nap and then I went straight into the Malt House Theatre to do the uh, pre-show stuff which involved uh, waiting in the lobby and talking to people because I wanted to do the opposite of the traditional stand-up thing where you start in the dressing room and then you walk out onto the stage and there's the lights and the clapping and it's all very kind of um, showbiz-y and I wanted to do the opposite of that which is talking to people in the lobby and then walking into the theatre and then climbing onto the stage from the audience. Uh, I thought I had a good chance of the show being good, a small chance of it being excellent and a small chance of it being absolute rubbish. I think it was good. I think it was good. It was a bigger theatre than I'm used to. Uh, There were seven cameras and just tens of people like maybe 35 people rotating around doing different things lights and sound and and stage stuff and camera stuff and there was a director there and all all of these different pieces moving around me uh, felt very strange and they did it very well very smoothly I didn't feel like anyone was asking me to focus on anything other than the show Uh, I was a little stammery which is a habit I used to have Um, and it's particularly something I fall into in Australia and I think it it might have to do with wanting to be non-threatening, it might have to do with a sort of sense of urgency that I have in delivering my material, but it's something that I've gotten a a lot better at not doing in the UK Um, and it was something that I fell back into a little bit. Also, um, my finger work on the songs was a little bit shaky, mainly because my hands were shaking because I felt this kind of, you know 
it was nerve it was nervy it was a a really lovely show the audience was really lovely but it was a higher stage than I'm used to and I didn't feel like I had that full connection I was worried about getting the connection uh, to the people who would be watching it later on and maybe thinking of one too many things Uh, that said it was enormously fun and I think it worked and um, now we're doing the edits and we'll figure out whether I can make it work in the way that I want to and then I'll find out next year when it launches as to uh, whether I've done that properly and whether it actually works on screen as I feel it does in the room and then you can tell me I guess uh, when that happens so thank you everyone for your support in um, supporting this podcast is the direct reason why I was able to do this show uh, because I had uh, Neil Gaiman on the podcast and then I gave him my trilogy and then he put that to Amazon and then they commissioned me. So it is directly due to your support in listening to this show, in in subscribing to the Patreon, in sending me emails, alicerfraser at gmail.com, in sharing the podcast uh, with your friends or people who you think would like it on, on Twitter or word of mouth. All of those things are direct contributors to me being given this massive opportunity like a huge um a huge opportunity and I'm so grateful for that I will let you get on with listening to the podcast um because that's enough of me rambling self-indulgently about (laughs) the great thing that's happened to me um but I will uh, talk to you next week thank you for listening you're having tea with Alice It's five. It's five k at the moment. Five yeah. k is not bad. Yeah, but it's. Uh, I was. I was nearly down to under twenty five minutes, and today it took about thirty minutes to do it. So I've. I've lost some fitness in Edinburgh. What's, what's your training regime? I've not really been. I've, I've got. I've got. I've now got a personal trainer I go to once a week and do some weights and stuff with. But I mean, I've only just started. And otherwise, it's just I walk the dog. I walk the dog, and I've. I've, I've run half marathons, a marathon, and a mat one marathon before. Um, What's your marathon time? My marathon time was four hours seventeen and fifty. Though I think I could, I did a half marathon five years ago. I got very fit, and I had a, a men's health got me a personal trainer for six weeks as this comedians lose weight thing. That's sort of right to the right point of it, and uh, and he helped me a bit with the running. And I did half marathon in one forty eight or something like that. That's not bad. I can't remember what the time was, but it was about it was. But the year before I'd done it, when I was quite unhealthy, and it'd taken two hours. 35 or something so wow. I think like I don't think anyone could have improved as much in a year as Most I did it was my worst ever that was by far my worst ever half marathon I wasn't ready for that half marathon whereas my other previous best had been about 155 I think so I'd taken you know as a 48 year old or whatever it was then 47 year old I took you know 10 minutes off my time and felt amazing at the end and could have I could easily have done it again yeah so I was just super fit and I'd, I think I'd stopped drinking but I might probably start drinking by that point um, but yeah, it's crazy. Just like giving up booze has just made a huge amount of difference to me this year. Yeah, it was a whole different system in your body, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. a different kind of fuel. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, who are you and what are you drinking? I am Richard Herring. I don't know what I'm drinking. Which one did you give me in the end? I'm drinking some kind of herbal. A very berry sort of tisane yeah. situation. Well, that's what I'm drinking and uh, it's, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> it's allowed. It's in a, an Alice tea mug which someone <laughs> gave me. Yeah, I have... Uh, most people bring me tea, which is kind yes. of the best thing. Yes. Do, do your fans bring you things? Um, yeah, do they? Occasionally they do. Um, 
this year in Edinburgh, I had a guy who came to think nearly 20 of the 21 podcasts, but he was bringing me a lot of chocolate for my wife because he knew I couldn't eat chocolate. So he was, uh, they kind of taunt, taunt me. He bought me a Solero because I've been eating a lot of Soleros. When my successful part of the diet was I'd have a Solero every day. I've had about 250 Soleros this year. <laughs> you know what Solero is, right? I have no idea. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a 98-calorie lolly with... Uh, ice cream in the middle and orange, well, some passion fruit or something around the outside uh-huh. uh, and that was enough of a treat for me every day to go right I'll have that it's 98 calories and uh, I was basically just might have been on the Solero diet <laughs> but if you eat too many of them it no longer becomes a diet you can, no. you can only have one a day uh, so he bought me Solero Generally, I don't eat the things that my fans bring me, just in case. No, I had that situation <laughs> with, a, with a guy who uh, ended up turning up in Edinburgh and having to be had a quiet work. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he showed up at an airport. And he, it was a domestic airport, so he'd just come through security with a cake and right. that he'd made. And it, it was... Uh, you know, one of those terrible things where I didn't know him at all, yeah. but he knew me quite well. Yes, yes. And I just, you know, got on the plane and... The lady said, do you want to put this in the storage locker? And I said, can you put it in the bin, please? I just... <laughs> I generally do that. I, in the end, I, we just gave the kids the chocolate first and saw, saw how they, how they <laughs> went. And if, as long as they were okay, we were okay. So thanks, Liam. Uh, but yeah, I've had some I've had some weird stuff. But uh, yeah, they're generally people... You know, I think like with you, they tune in on some obscure thing from one podcast and then you get... <laughs> you get loads of stuff like that. Well, I had I had a flamingo toy that I just yeah. gave to my my twin brother's baby because oh. uh, someone had thrown it on stage in in Soho from the bugle. Yes, which was a joke I made once that yeah. got out of hand. Yeah, there you go. They that just, kind of thing. So they're, they're, I, you know, as with you, I'm sure the people who listen to my podcast and have supported my comedy over the years are the actual absolute lifeblood of what I do, and it's lovely that you have that close relationship with them and most you know 99.9% of people absolutely get it and I'm very happy to you know to have chats with people and to email people people email me about stuff it's lovely most of it nearly all of it and then one one of out of a thousand people will it be it's a bit odd but yeah. I mean that's just people people yeah. are a bit odd and I uh, I don't I don't know I, I do a Skype conversations with some of right. my Patreon subscribers and I was really worried when I started doing that because I thought a friend of mine, Ben Elwood, who does the Comedy Film Nerds podcast, he does it. And I thought, but yeah, but he's a guy and it's a bit weird. Yeah. And what if what if it becomes, you know, strange or upsetting? But I've kind of written it into the thing that if it becomes strange or upsetting, I will just hang up and, yeah. you know, refund you your money and all of that. <laughs> and so far it has been utterly delightful. Yeah. Just the most interesting people yeah. with really interesting things. Is it like pre, you know, early Twitter in the early Twitter was great and people were lovely and you could have a proper conversation with people and like people who liked your work could discuss it and you could discuss stuff with people you liked and just strangers would come in and join the conversation it was I don't know if you remember early Twitter it was genuinely lovely yeah and then now it's a kind of something you have to navigate quite carefully (laughs) and there's a lot of icebergs out there so I wonder if that kind of thing will become weird if... And maybe it won't, because I think like the, what I like about podcasts is you really have to want to listen to it. Well, people, it's very... I mean, this is the thing about Twitter. It sort of enhances the ability for people to take things out of context, which is one of the worst things about the modern world. Yes. Whereas podcasts, people only listen to you when they're in the mood for you, and they listen from the beginning to the end. They're yeah. not tuning in midway through yeah. and hearing you say... You know, as the end of a sentence, like, I would never say immigrants should all burn in a bonfire. They just hear immigrants should all burn in a bonfire yeah, and then yeah. they come at you. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of which, what have you been wrestling with? Um, well, all sorts of things. Funnily enough, last night, I'll tell you about last, last night, I was, uh, my house was nearly blown up. What? Uh, in the, I was in bed asleep, with my, like quite early, with embarrassingly early for it. <laughs> uh, what night was it? Last day, Friday night. Embarrassingly, yeah. we'd gone to bed quite early. We'd been to see the Tiger Who Came to Tea, which I've got a lot of issues with uh, at Hartford <laughs> Theatre, which I might have talked to you about, which I might talk to you about some later on. Uh, and we are sound asleep at like ten o'clock, like sound asleep because somebody. We live in a like village. It's like nothing ever happens. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. And. Um, Somebody had drunk drive, I think drunk drive, I'm pretty sure drunk drive, speeded down the high street and somehow crashed into the garage right next to our garage. Whoa. And severed a gas main. That's so intense. Yeah, so we hadn't even, literally 20 feet from our bedroom, we didn't even wake up. Right, this the cr- proper crash, and the, you look at the. the, the How the, old are your children? Uh, and they didn't wake up. They're four and nearly two. Yes, the tiringest uh, of it. <laughs> yeah, so we were we were really asleep, and we would, and I was in such a deep sleep. So I was, in, I, I thought, oh great, this is you know, we were so tired after Edinburgh and everything as well, and um, yeah, so we got these the doorbell started like, ring, 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 and we thought, oh, you know, what's that? The dog was barking, and I was gonna leave it, and then I went down to see what was going on, and all my. Neighbours were standing in the street looking at something and there was under sort of blue lights. So this is obviously like some time after, like a little bit of time after it actually happened. But yeah, then the police and the fire brigade were there and then they were saying you have to evacuate your house. And I said, well, with my kids and everything. But what was, because I was most annoyed about being woken up. And then as, as we sort of waited up the street to see if the, if the garage was going to blow up and if they were going to be able to... I don't know how badly damaged it was, but you sort of think that the, that if that, had, if that car had crashed into that garage and exploded mm. and the gas mains had exploded, which I think was, you know, you sort of think, well, that's game over, really, for all of us. It was close to our house. Certainly it was massive structural damage for our house at best. That was the best. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean... At least you died doing what you like. Uh, <laughs> Being asleep. Sleeping. Yeah. Sleeping and my children both asleep. It would be worth... But yeah, so it's that kind of thing where you... I mean, uh, yeah, I suppose what I was wrestling with in that was just that thought of how... That precariousness of life that you always know is there. Yeah. But that you also think, ah, oh, it's not going to... It's almost not, it's not impossible really to function if you're constantly yeah. aware of it unless you're some sort of extremely excellent Buddhist monk yes. who's completely capable of negotiating that process. But they need to detach themselves from everything. They yes. can't have families, they can't own anything because yeah. otherwise... And that's the really awful thing about, I think, the fear of death. Yeah, well, it's more the pheno, but it's now we've got kids. I thought I used to be terrified of dying, and now I don't care for myself. Uh, but having kids, it just that's just it's just all oh, my daughter was sleeping closest, so that her room would have taken the brunt of that. And you kind of think, you know, what would you? That it, it, I've no idea how badly the gas gas main was damaged, but presumably they obviously would have to do what they did, regardless of how badly it was damaged. It's damaged. They have to do go through this ring roll, but you just think. Just some, you know, and at, the crash was absolutely impossible. You would never predict it because it's not, there's, it's sort of on a very mild bend, like a tiny bend. But you, he would have had to somehow basically turn to his right to hit this, the way he hit this guy. And, he, and you know, also the, my next door neighbour's garage has been really badly <laughs> damaged and mine's okay. And we're, they're absolutely connected. It's the same building. Um uh, so you know, I'm glad my car's okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's sort of just that weird thought. And, we're, in, and in this house, I mean, we lived in this house two years, and, and 
we also had like two carbon monoxide escapes in the same house. So it feels like gas is trying to kill oh, me. No. And I'm a friend of gas. <laughs> I breathe it. I, I expel it in, in lots of different ways. I yeah. expel uh, carbon dioxide to help the plants. I, I, I don't think the methane really helps anyone, but <clears throat> it's still a gas. Funny, um, funny in the right place at is. the right time. Yeah, not it's not very funny for anyone in, in, in the vicinity. But you know, gas should be my friend and should be pleased. But gas seems to be trying to kill me. So we were very lucky with the carbon monoxide. Have you offended any gassy windows? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, what was the thought process when you say kind of wrestling with this this um, mortality or the fragility of life? Like, other than the f- like first physical, which I assume is all like hairs up on your body and a bit of a heart rate issue. Yeah, it's just, but I, you know, it's just the horror of thinking my kids that you could lose your kids, I think, and that your kids wouldn't grow up, which is cra- you know, it's it's sort of crazy because uh, you know, in any other time in history, you would expect. Yeah, to lose a whole bunch yeah you'd, you'd, one in two your children would die and you'd have ten and you'd presumably be very still very upset I can't imagine you know our, even our caveman ancestors weren't attached to their children but it's just that you know you you see such promise in them and and just the idea that like the actions of like that that, that something as uncontrollable as that and that's the terrifying thing I think because you know looking back your parents would always tell you that you'd be fine but you also know as a parent that there's things... You can't control a drunk driver driving and hitting a garage and breaking the gas mains. And I don't even... Yeah, I don't know what... I, you know, I was trying to work out whether a gas explosion... When you see gas explosions on the news, there's often the house it's happened in has disappeared and everything else around just is a bit broken. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard to know what effect a gas explosion would have, isn't it? No, yeah, it depends how so, much the leak before the spark yeah. and all of that... So yeah, so it's more. It was more the, about well, and, and, you know, just all being wiped out. I mean, you're all wiped out together. I think the worst thing would be that only I had survived. <laughs> that's uh, that would be the that would be the you know out of everything. That's that's what you. I'm very happy to give up my life for my children now. I'm I'd be sort of delighted because you know it'd be nice to be a hero. Uh, but uh, I'm going to try not to do it. But, uh, if, yeah. if, if, the, if the moment comes up, but it's just my daughter's about to go to school. You know, it's just we've just been to the theatre and seen the tiger who came to tea, which I've have some issues with. You have some issues with that. I have some issues. I have some issues with the story. Okay, unpack that. Well, the tiger is. A, do you know the story? Of the tiger who I came to tea. I do not know the tiger who came to tea. It's I about see. some people who. Are, I mean, they have to stretch it out. That's the, my issue with the play. Is the book's quite short and the play is fifty-five minutes long. Oh gosh! So they add quite a lot of narrative that is not in the book, including a bit <laughs> where the family are driving to the restaurant at the end, where they walk in the book, and they're driving for quite some time, not saying anything. I, for a moment, I thought they're going to do fifteen minutes. <laughs> they were very good. It's a, it's a wonderful play and a fantastic cast. They you put their heart into it. Cure. But um, the tiger comes to tea uh, in the book, and he just turns up uninvited. There's a tiger, and then he comes. That's going to be my next question. uh, (laughs) um, He uh, comes in, and he's hungry, and so uh, they give him all their tea. And then he's thirsty, so he drinks all the milk at the milk jug, and then he drinks all the um, fruit juice. And then he drinks all of the beer, the dad's beer, which is the beer, even though I'm not drinking, that gets to me. That's quite rude. Just drink one of them, leave one for the dad who's coming yeah. home. And then he drinks all the water out of the taps, which, you know, I have... Again, I'm not sure logistical what, yeah, issues. I have with... more logistical issues with that than... So they can't have a bath because um, there's no water. Um, and I just think that's, you know, I don't know what this, the, the 
moral of it is that I just think the the tiger is an extremely rude. There's a story about a family that has difficulty <laughs> creating boundaries. Hmm. Well, they're very polite. They're you know I think it's written. It's Judith Kerr who's recently died, um, and uh, I think it was. It looks like it was written in the fifties, and they're so polite. Yeah. To just go, oh, we have to help you, have to help you, have to help you. And that seems to be moral that if a, a rude tiger turns up, you have to let them eat everything in your house. I don't know if there's a, you know, is there a threat behind this? Is the tiger saying, if, I, if you don't let me eat all your food, I may eat you? It doesn't have to say it, does it? The no, tiger, it's just being a tiger. Just being a tiger is enough. So I, I think the tiger is sort of seen as a hero in this book um, and play. And I and I have an issue. I just think no Does one. Does the tiger no, represent the patriarchy? Yeah, I think maybe. <laughs> but then it's written by a, a, a woman, and I don't know what she's saying. Is she trying to say we shouldn't have this, or she doesn't make any comment? And the end of the book um, and the play, they go out to the family buy a tin of tiger food, which I'm presuming it's got a tiger on it. I'm just presuming it's four tigers rather than made out of tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in case the tiger comes back again, they've got a big tin of tiger food for it so they're prepared for the next time so again very and then they say in case the tiger comes back and then the last line is but he never did uh, and <laughs> which just seems incredible I love that's my favourite ending to anything it's a very bleak and you know it's just like oh this guy came no but he never came back never came back so uh, and so we'd been to that and we'd had a lovely time the kids had both enjoyed it and then you know we could have gone home and just been wiped and we weren't doing this podcast I'd have been wiped out he'd have gone oh it's thought Richard Herring was meant to be coming around. <laughs> and then I wouldn't have been late. <laughs> I would have, I would I have texted have you and you wouldn't have replied. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, and then I would have heard about it on the news. So that's what I've been thinking. I've been thinking I mean, but I've always, I've always been concerned, thinking about death and always thinking, you know, I'm always worrying it was about to happen and worrying I would die before any of the milestones in my life. So as a kid, you know, worried I'd die before I'd had sex, as if that was the... As long as I'd had sex, that would have made death okay. And not realising the disappointing sex I would have had. I would have died before having had any good sex. Um, and so, yeah, so it's always been a, a worry. But I, I think but there's a thing where you, I just, even though I think about it all the time, I don't think it's really going to happen. So okay. I don't actually, I, I think there's an element where you're, where, the, where you prepare yourself for something uh, and think if I say this is going to happen, then it won't happen because it would be too much of a coincidence that I said it was going to. That if I always worry about that, and I'm not, you know, I'm a quite, I'm, I'm an optimistic person. I was going to. This was something else I was thinking about because my wife's quite pessimistic. Always looks, always sees the bad side of what can go wrong, and uh-huh. gets upset about things before they've happened. Yes, and I don't like that because I think why waste the energy. Well, then it just happens sort of twice, once in your head and once in reality, or it happens once in your head and not at all in reality. And then you've wasted your time. So, but there's no way you can there's no way you can talk someone out of that mindset. I don't think so. That's that. So that optimism and pessimism, I can say to it, why why do you not? Don't worry about it until it's happened. Yeah. Um, Because you're just wasting energy. Goes. Yeah, I know that's what logically is the case, but I can't do that. And so there there was a thing in the paper about uh, optimists live longer than pessimists. Um, but I also wonder whether... Um, That's a way to take pessimists out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> they'll worry about that. Yeah. Um, but I also wonder whether actually having an optimist and a pessimist in a couple is probably quite a good thing. That probably is a good way to do the balance. Yeah. Yeah. But it's annoying, though. You know, we have a lot of uh, arguments about it. I wonder how much 
causation is kind of implied in in the worry. Sometimes I get worried if I'm not worried about things, which yeah. implies that somewhere in my head I think I need to be worried for something to work properly. Okay. If I don't, you know, if I don't worry about something, yeah. then I won't do the work. Yeah, you know, it's true. I think you know, you, you, but you have to. Well, you have to be concerned about stuff. You can't lose, You can't be like uh, I don't care about anything. But you just. I don't. There's any point in. I think there's an element where you know people. Um, you do that so you can be proved if you're doing it so if you're proved right you can go see I was right and so you've, you've sort of won maybe what you're doing is just giving yourself a win yeah. even if you lose so you're going see I told you that was going to happen and that and now it's happened <laughs> and I think there's a there's an you know I wonder everything that's happening in the world is a little bit because I think like, you know about 10 years ago I saw like a poster for the anti-Nazi league up on up in Edinburgh I think it was in Edinburgh yeah. and I just thought are Nazis that big a problem at the moment that we need a league to, an anti-Nazi league and you know maybe I was being naive but then the anti-Nazi league kind of want there to be Nazis really there needs they? to be Nazis there needs to be Nazis to, to exist this is really interesting that there's like that sparks off so many things for me. Like one is, uh, I was talking to somebody uh, who was an activist in the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, who's a wonderful activist and, and human being, and she was talking about the fact that whiteness is a construct mm-hmm. that had to emerge. So back in the day, you had Italians and Germans and French people, and they would have been incredibly offended at the idea that you would lump them in together. They were different races in their own minds. Mm-hmm. They were different different cultures, different races, and so on. And then you had this shipping of, of slaves to America, which erased their national identities as, as people. Mm-hmm. So instead of being Ghanaian or you know, Cambodia or, sorry, uh, from the Congo or whatever you have, uh, then they were just black. Mm-hmm. They were considered black. Their sort of national identity was erased, which then meant all of a sudden you had this mass of black people, and if you were not a black person, then you were a white person. Mm-hmm. So those were the those were your sort of options. You had to suddenly invent this idea that made Italians the same as Germans, yeah, the same as English people, the same as you know Greeks. All of a sudden, all of these people are the same people, <laughs> yeah. just because you'd invented this other, and then you become this thing yeah. in opposition to that. And I, th- I think that's a really interesting way, an interesting idea of the way that we work as like so much of Brexit. I think is irreparable now. Yeah, because we've pushed, like, and I don't think either side in Brexit really cared that before we did it, I would want to be in the EU, but I wasn't... Yeah, you weren't fussed. Hooray! You wouldn't have I wasn't like, that. I love the EU, it's great. I'd have gone, yeah, it's all right. No it's probably knew, better to no be in... No one really knew what it was. And nobody who wants to be out of the, of the EU really knows why or what, and now it's become about the issue rather than about well, what makes any kind of sense or what's logical. Now it's just like... They, you know, suddenly the idea of Brexit is more important than any of the things that they said they wanted because of Brexit. So it's become more important than democracy. It's become more important than parliamentary sovereignty. It's become more important than anything else because it's just about being right and wrong. Well, it's also about the fact that we've sat down at the dinner table. Someone's turned to us and gone, hey, how do you stand your husband's really annoying voice? <laughs> All of a sudden we've realised that we have this deep division in the nation. And I say we, I'm not one of you. Uh, but <laughs> there's all of a sudden this rift in the in the nation which sort of existed but no one really cared about no one really worried about mm-hmm. you knew that there were people of this kind in the world but you were all English and it was fine and then all of a sudden it's become impossible to ignore now yes. you know the voice is annoying now you know there are these people who disagree with you about some things and you're never going to be able to forget it 
I think eventually we will, but it's but then but it, you know it's the same it's the same thing as the Nazis and the anti-Nazis, which is sort of what it's a little bit about as well. Is that you you've got that identity of either side, and then the other side pushes you further, and that's what happened with the Nazis, with the original Nazis. They would the, the communists would get upset about the Nazis, and the Nazis would get upset about the communists, and it gives you both a reason to exist and to get more and more extreme. But I think eventually it comes back together again because I think most people, but unfortunately I think it comes back together again after something just unspeakably horrible has to happen for it to for it to come back together again. Yes. So all these divisions, it hasn't in America. It hasn't. They haven't got over any of their divisions really. The black, white, the north and south. They're not really over any of it. No. But for example, um, Roundheads versus Cavaliers in the, in England. We're sort of over that to the extent that I studied history and I'm not really sure which side is which. (laughs) And what they they really wanted. We're sort of over that. But, you know, that would have have been a very divisive issue years and years ago. Well, I think where it gets really interesting is this kind of process that you see of what they call, you know, online... um, uh, what is it they make? They make people more extreme. What's that process called? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, don't ask me to... I've had no sleep. I was awake in the middle of the night in the street, my children. Uh, it is uh, radicalisation. Radicalisation, that's the term. And that comes out of a... As far as I can tell, you get young men who are feeling a little disconnected in the world. They feel you know they don't have a purpose, they don't have a function, they're not sure what masculinity is. Mm-hmm. And you say... Well, look at this group of people. They are, for example, easily offended. Like, it's something that has nothing to do with your core beliefs. It has nothing to do with racism or anything about whether you think people are better than other people or Nazism in any way. It's just, look at these people making fools of themselves because they're too easily offended Mm. or because they have stupid haircuts. You don't have a stupid haircut, do you? And you start there. Like, that's where you start, yeah. with you're different from these people because they think it's cool to shave one side of their head and you don't. Like, it really yeah. starts... And then all they, it's just step by step by step, all of a sudden you're a Nazi. Yes. Because, mainly because those people who you don't like the haircuts of think the opposite. Yeah. Like, you want to be what they think is bad because they're stupid. Yeah. But I think we're also all... You know, projecting what we think the other side is onto the other side and using, you know, the evidence of whatever we... It's sort of interesting, like, being a comedian on Twitter in that you get all these assumptions about you that aren't, you know, nobody, you know, nobody knows... The thing with me, because I've done so much broad, different things in comedy, and so, you know, I'll I'll have upset every... So I'm not really interested in taking sides in comedy, really. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not... I don't, you know, I'm not a woolly liberal. I'm not really left wing. You know, I th- that's my that's where I would fall when I'm putting a vote in. But I'm not. I'm not what they imagine being left wing is. In that I'm, you know, I'm a small businessman. <laughs> I'm happy to make money. Uh, you know, I'm happy to do what I want with my money. And there's lots of things about the left that I don't like. There's lots of things about liberals I don't like. There's lots of things about the right I don't like. And you're able to pick and choose your own things. But you get, you know, I noticed it on Twitter and social media a few years ago where it's just like, oh, you know, you're the bleeding heart, you know, actor, lovey, woolly, liberal, you li- you know, you live here and you do this and you do that. And you kind of go, well, you don't know anything about me. Or, you know, when I criticised uh, Ricky Gervais for using the word mong, <laughs> and then... Uh, and I only said 
shouldn't we think about, you know, you're welcome to use the word, but think about why you're using it and the effect it has and whether it's worth it in that con- context. <laughs> you know, I think people should be allowed to talk about what they want to talk about. But, you know, you would then get people attacking me for being this yoghurt-knitting liberal on my high horse was my favourite one. Uh, and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And you kind of go, well, if you looked at any of my work, you know, I just did a show called Hitler Moustache in which I had a Hitler Moustache for a year. Uh, you know, I'm not. It's not like I'm not about offending people. Yeah. It's not. You know, you. But, you, but people would. People want to pigeonhole you and make a decision about you. And I noticed. You know, a few years ago, how readily that was happening. That that was just. You know, this liberal metropolitan elite idea, which isn't. You know, is nonsense. The liberals have never had. You know, even the, even including the left wing and liberalism, they have so little power within. Well, within, there's also anything. this division between liberalism and left, which yeah. sort of previously didn't seem to exist, but now has become very pronounced. Yeah, but the people in the middle, you know, which is most people, eventually, I think, you know, eventually the only way to solve all the things is for everyone to come together and compromise. And at the moment, no one wants to compromise about anything. And eventually, we will come together and compromise for the next stage if we're still here. But I think that there might might have to be something horrendous to happen in the way. But I think also the whole way me, the media works, and I think what's interesting is that the idea of balance is to get like Katie Hopkins and a communist and one person in the middle. Yeah, and that's not a, you know, and say that's representative, but those people are outliers, and there's a hundred people in the middle and two people on the edge, and you're putting one person to represent a hundred people. You know? Well, yes, if it's one in a thousand or one in ten thousand or one in a hundred thousand, the nature of the internet is that you can still meet more hyper weirdos than you could ever possibly encounter yes. in real life. So yeah. you're thinking there's hundreds of thousands of these one in a hundred thousand. Yeah. And but if you're doing that, on, if you're doing a TV debate and it's three people, and, yeah. and, t- and you think you've got balance by having the most left wing and the most right wing person and someone in the middle, that's not any kind of balance yeah, because balance would actually be three people sort of in the middle. Three people one. sort of in the middle, and then <laughs> Katie Hopkins' rude finger on the yeah, side yeah. is chopped off. But you know, not every single not every single time should it be that. You can, occasionally, you would get Katie Hopkins on, but obviously, you know, it's she knows what she's doing. I think, or she did to begin with. I think she might have actually gone crazy now. Um, <laughs> you know, she's she's the creating entertainment, and that's why all of these people. This is why this has succeeded. Even Farage was just sort of about creating, or um, I think he understood what he was doing in creating entertainment, then and and therefore getting on the television, uh, and therefore and Boris Johnson has done it as well. And and that's all you need to you know to be a presence and be an idea. But you know, so like Nigel Farage is the most successful can be uh, politician and comedian uh, politician of you know in our time because yeah. he's absolutely single handedly changed the political landscape of this yeah. country. And people will say he's not a good politician, yeah. and what they mean is he's not a moral person. Yeah. But that's a completely different question. Yeah. It's a. It's. It is really interesting. I think the the mass of people that we are aware of in our day to day lives forces you to treat other people as non player characters. Mm-hmm. So it's more important what they are than who they are. Whereas in reality, it doesn't matter what somebody believes as long as if you're having lunch with them, you can have a nice yes. lunch yeah. and you can trust you them with your children and you can assume <laughs> that they're not going to murder anyone and ideally they won't be rude to anyone. Like, yeah. in reality, that is much more important. Yeah, but that does seem to change, you know, and I think, like, in the... I, you know, I, I like having friends who I, I completely disagree with, and I like talking to intelligent people who I completely disagree with. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be something that's disappearing, you know, that you can't, you can't have a... 
uh, that kind of you know you it's very difficult to have that kind of relationship with someone now because it's you've you've got to nail your colours to a mask. And, you know, and I think if the the real it's that, it's that the, the, another thing that has bugged me. I think you were talking about this as well. Was just that idea that um, consistency is more important than being able to change your mind. But actually, people who change their mind are the people who get things done. Yeah. So anyone who just says this is what you know, it's like staying true to what you believed at fifteen, yeah. which some people do. I've been dreaming think, of this job since I was a child. <laughs> yeah. Why have your dreams not changed, you yeah. maniac? All your ideas, or you feel like you're betraying your fifteen. I can understand you betraying. You know, oh, I said, I said when I was fifteen, I would never go hang out with girls, and I'd just be friends with my friends. You know, you change things change, but actually, the people who have changed their mind are the people who will change the world, whereas the people who Stay, you know. I'm you, the and at the moment. The, the the UK is in trouble because we've not we won't compromise. So all the people who oppose Brexit are not prepared to compromise in a way that will will make it work. Well, I think so. You know, they, we could stop Brexit. I think, but the people who oppose Brexit are fighting amongst themselves. Um, yeah, it's this weird tying in of the expressed expressed idea with the core moral principle. So you you would say probably that you don't. You don't betray the 15-year-old you were in terms yeah. of your core moral principles, your understanding of you know, maybe the people around you or the people, your friends or how you should treat people or whether you should be nice or mean or, you know, like yeah. that kind of stuff doesn't change. But the fact is that the window dressing changes. Like they, they did these super interesting experiments that really, really um, kind of changed the way I think about the world. Uh, in terms of, in America, they did these in a university and the study was... Uh, can you get people who are on the left wing to agree with traditionally right wing arguments and vice versa? And so, for example, if you present compulsory English lessons in primary schools to left wing people as a an equal opportunities program, yeah, they're much more likely to get on board with that. Yeah. Whereas if you express it as a you know national nationalism thing, they won't agree with it at all. Even though it's the same thing. Yeah. If you say, you know, it's America, you should speak English. Yeah. English is our national language, you should speak, and we should make all children speak English. They'll go, fuck you, that's a terrible idea, how dare you impose this. But if you go, if you speak English, you're more likely to get a job, and it's a great way to expand opportunities to people from minorities. They'll be like, yeah, what a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, we're all dicks at the, the, the end of the day. But the fun, like, the, the proposition is, is, is yeah. the same. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't keep you too long. You've got to go off and do the, the guilty <laughs> feminist, and I was already late. Uh, what else have you been wrestling with? Um, oh, what else have I got? <laughs> it's mainly death, morality. Um, I mean, it's all sort of, sort of on the same. It's, uh, I think that, but that idea of changing minds. I think you know. I think you can change your mind. Like, to- I mean, well, I think it's if the circumstances have changed. That's why I, I think. That's the problem. You believe, you know, you believe. Oh, this was right at the time. So, for example, I was always very against putting adverts in anything or doing adverts for anything, mm. and I was quite strident and was very upset with people who did ads. Yeah. And now, my podcast. I finally, like last year, decided that I would <laughs> have adverts in my podcast, having come to it through a, through a, you know, a slow process, but also through the realization that um, that that was the only way to really make this work as a model you know to keep it going and mm. I'm using the advertising money to make more podcasts I'm not using the advertising money to make myself richer uh, although it may work out in the end that, that that you know that's how it works I don't really have a problem with making myself richer as I've said but uh, but yeah so it's, it's all, but it is a, it's a you know and I thought more people would be upset with me like more people who listen to the podcast would be upset with me and hardly anyone has been like one or two 
yeah. people have been upset about it. Uh, even though it's like a you know someone emailed me and said oh it's interesting you were having to go with Mark Watson about this when you and now you know and now an advert will come up in the middle of that say I think one from McDonald's came up in the middle of the when we first did it in the middle of the argument we were having about him doing an advert which I would think I don't think it was that um, unpleasant to him about to be fair but it was quite funny or uh, maybe we're talking about Bill Hicks and, and this advert came up in the middle of it just through the magic of uh, of the way the, the software works. Um, but, you know, there's a, a couple of people who, you know, have, have sort of had a go and say, oh, it's sad to see you being forced to, to do these reads for such and such. But, you, you know, I sort of realised it was... Well, A, I sort of realised it's a different thing than a very rich person making another million pounds just to say something they don't believe in. Yeah. Uh, and B, I think my audience are clever enough to understand how the deal works yeah. and so if you are taking some money from Now TV and you're going to make who are owned by Rupert Murdoch and <clears throat> you're going to make your own stuff with that then and, and if the audience is clever enough to understand why you're doing it yeah. then they should be you know it's a, why wouldn't you just listen to the advert why would you not go oh if I listen to this advert I'm clever enough to know I don't have to be taken in by it and by doing so Rupert Murdoch will be giving Richard Herring some money to make some stuff that I like so what in, in, in when you on my like hypothesis before which I don't have a huge amount to back up but the hypothesis that there's like a core principle that stays the same even if your ideas change yeah what was the thing about ads on podcasts that you didn't like well it was adverts in general so it was before podcasts and I think the reason it works with podcasts is because you need them really you know it's the only I've tried lots of different ways to fund everything and a lot of it is generated from uh, the people who listen and I still managed to do that and that's still great and that helps pay for lots and lots of the stuff which is fantastic but I think in terms of moving it on and, and creating something else I think you need to have have some uh, some money to do to do that and I think that and I think the understanding between the audience and the podcaster is good enough that people get what what's going on in the past they were before there were podcasts I didn't like the idea of uh, saying something you didn't believe didn't be paid for it because as a comedian um, kind of your well whole... yeah the whole thing is do you trust what I'm saying I mean to the but you know my stuff's uh, there's some of that element but mostly my stuff's fairly ridiculous anyway so it's not like I'm saying stuff I believe but you know it, it compromises your integrity uh, it's sort of there was a feeling it's sort of wrong to try and make lots of money for something that is not worthy I suppose yeah um, and I, you know I still feel that and I still feel if I see I'm much, I'm much less judgmental than I used to be because I also think, you know, George Clooney, for example, advertises in Nespresso and there's lots of reasons to be upset with him about that. But I think he does that in order to fund his, you know, or he'll do a big film in order to fund an independent film. Yeah. So if the, if the choice is between keeping artistic integrity but not being able to make the thing, the art you want to make... And you know, and compromising your artistic integrity in order to make something that you're artistically proud of—that's you know—that's as old as time, and that's a decision. Again, that becomes becoming older and thinking about the reality of stuff rather than just as a, you know. When I was anti-adverts, it wasn't like I was being offered lots of adverts. I've turned a few adverts down in my life, but not nothing. No one's come to me and said, "Here's half a million pounds. Will you say this?" Yeah, there's sort of two. I think there's two things. Uh, like my, I have relatives in my family who are one of the reasons why I didn't become a comedian until quite late on. Why I tried being a lawyer before before I tried doing anything artistic. I probably wouldn't have become a comedian out the gate. I would have become a, a, a poet or a musician. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that I stuck around long enough to figure out that comedy was an interesting set of problems. But <laughs> it, I just didn't want to be. I didn't want to be an artist because I'd seen 
people in my family who were incredibly talented doing shit jobs their whole lives because they refused to be commercial mm-hmm. in what they were doing. And I thought, well, they, they're not doing what they want to do. By refusing to do anything other than what they wanted to do, they're now being forced to do horrible, boring jobs for no money. And doing horrible, boring jobs is a commercial, you know, you're working for, yeah. so you're doing a horrible commercial job. So I think there's, you know, I think exactly that. It's sort of under, it's understanding there is a compromise. It's understanding that also, I think there's a, I think I, I feel it was a patronising attitude from me to be going, I understand what the whole advert thing is about but I don't think you guys understand. So <laughs> if I do an advert, you guys are going to, if I say go and buy a Mars bar, you guys are going to go buy a Mars bar because you respect me so much. <laughs> so, you know, it's, a, and you don't get what it's about. And so, you know, I think that's sort of, that's a, that's sort of slightly offensive in a different way. But yeah, I, I had one conversation with those, one guy I had a Facebook conversation with, uh, and and I you know I get it because I'm saying something completely different than I used to say, mm. but actually ha- having had all those chats in the podcast with people who've done adverts and them giving their reasons, and it was Adam Buxton in the end who just went you know I mean I we, I used to do everything I did for I was doing podcasts for free for years, and everything I made from podcasts I would put back into making podcasts. I wasn't paying myself anything out of podcasts. Yeah, thinking. That's fair enough because the podcasts bring me more uh, people come to see my shows, and so that's fine. So I didn't. I was sort of making money on the side, but I was. Which means essentially the podcasts are an advertisement for your. Yeah, well, they are. That's true as well. <laughs> uh, but but also like you know that was the high sort of high principles. I won't you know I'm not going to take any of your money. I'm going to put all of your money back. And you know Roman Mars. I was on the panel with him and someone else said that's crazy. You should take, you should pay yourself to do to do the podcast. Which you know I still I mean it, I do sort of still obliquely, but it's but it's uh, it's I still. When we do the Kickstarters, all that Kickstarter money's going into the podcast, and all the advert money's going into the podcast, in the hope that I can put, make something bigger yes. than what I'm doing. And you know, and I, and I think that's you know, I'm 52, and you kind of think that, that is not. No one's going to come along and say, "Here's a hundred thousand pounds to go and make your sitcom that you want to make, yeah. or whatever you know, yeah. your audio sitcom that would be." Uh, so you know, it's it's kind of realizing there's that you do have to compromise, but also I think it's. It, and it is a change of heart, but and I don't feel bad about it. I've sort of now almost thoroughly embrace it. It's kind of weird. So I feel like I've completely turned around yeah. because I sort of also think there's things I still wouldn't do it for it. But there was one that was for a bank and for an app that you would have if you were with the bank. And I thought, do I, do I want to do that? And I thought, that still, it doesn't. You have to be with the bank already. It doesn't matter if you if you're gonna make. <laughs> If you're going to make a decision, um, it's nice when you really like the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting. It's an interesting thing. I think partly this kind of compromisey stuff, and I will let you go in four minutes. Uh, <laughs> partly this kind of compromisey stuff comes up as you get older more, and it should come up because most a, a lot of youthful idealism is very beautiful, but you, it, it underestimates how hard it is to get literally anything done. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything in the world is so annoying and complicated. If you actually want to do something different that other people aren't doing, if you're not just fitting yourself into a pre-grooved channel, it is so hard, it's so annoying, it takes longer, it costs more, and it's not until you actually try and do things in the world that you realise how annoying it is. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing, there isn't anything wrong with getting paid. I mean, the weird thing about our job is you can suddenly get paid just an amount of money... 
you know, like the, I've, I've been, I've done a job that's taken two hours that uh, get paid more than I got paid in the first three years I was being a comedian. I didn't earn very much in the first three years I was being a comedian. But even so, you know, if you'd gone back and said, you'll get this much money for going to this place and doing this thing, you know, and I guess I just increasingly I was doing things that just felt like, oh, I'm sort of heading down that path. I was doing things I wouldn't have done before, like corporate gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, I thought, well, like, you know, I'm not being paid for doing my podcast, so this is, you know, I can put this money back into the podcast or I can, you know, pay myself with this. Um, and you sort of realise those compromises, they don't sort of destroy you. They don't actually change you as a person, as long as you're still trying to do what you want to do. Uh, yeah, but, you know, ultimately is that, that you know, the, the, the freedom it gives you, Again, you know, I've got kids as well now, so I can't. You, you can't live. I know. Even when we were when we were young, we said we haven't got cocaine habits, we haven't got mortgages, we haven't got families, so we don't have to do adverts. Uh, so we kind of knew that that was a that, that was a, a change. And I don't, you know, I still don't think I would. If I was a personality, like a big personality, who I don't think I would go and go and do one of those adverts on yeah, TV. But it so just that, feels... That is the point at which yeah. people aren't engaging with you yeah. on, on a personal level. As they, as we said at the beginning, if, if they're engaging with a podcast, they kind of know you. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if they're engaging with you as a personality, that's a different thing. Then yeah. it's what you are, again, not who you are. Yeah. But people see... No, but I, I'm actually just amazed. People compl- I really thought, oh, I'll get a lot of shit for this. And... Uh, like it's two, two or three people, I think, have even commented, and not that badly. And you can, you can sort of say, if you don't, there's an ad-free version if you pay a, a small amount of money a month, and you know, that sort of shuts that argument down a bit because it's like saying, well, you don't want adverts, but you don't want to pay me either. So you're saying I should be working. For, I have one, for free. one person with my Patreon because I have some content on my yeah. Patreon that's for one dollar subscribers, some for five, some for higher levels, and somebody said, oh, isn't that a class system? And I've always, you know, I've always been kind of anti that, but at the same time, it is a voluntary yeah. thing. And also, if you can't afford it and you email me, I'll send it to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not, and it's not like a rigid paywall situation. And I don't think that people shouldn't pay for the things that they value. What's the point of anything? Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't, no one does it with anything else, and no one goes to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 McDonald's. You made a lot of money. Why are you still charging for your burgers? You should be giving those out. And I've always, you know, I'm the same as you. I've always like if anyone's on on Twitter saying they can't. If you're if you're listening and you can't afford to come to all of my gigs, just email me and tweet me. There's usually tickets left, to be honest, for most of my gigs. And so you know, but I've I've got a few that I can give away anyway. Yeah. And I never get I never have people. You know, I never I'm never giving them to friends or anything. So I wouldn't impose on my friends to come and see me. So there's always. Tickets there available for people to come and see stuff, and yeah, yeah absolutely. There's always, there's always, and what I love about the model that I use with the podcast is that the people who can afford to pay sometimes pay some stuff, yeah. and the people who can't still get the podcast for free. Yeah, um, and so that, and I love that. I think that is, you know, there is a sort of egalitarian element to that, and I would never start saying, "Hey," because I think it'd be, you know, it would be really bad for listenership as well. If you start saying you have got to pay ten people a podcast. Even that little, you know, it's, it's a, you would know people would people There's wouldn't do it. There's something just so beautiful, and I, I I support my thing with the Patreon. I don't do ads, um, but that's partly because of what it is. Uh, this particular podcast, but I. There's something really beautiful about someone saying, "I've been listening to you for six months, and I'm now going to start giving you money because yeah. you've proved like that you're valuable." There's yeah. something about you that is valuable, 
and I want to give you like like this. That's yeah. like really nice. Well, it's not. I think most people. Well, not not even most people. A percentage of people. You know, I work. You know, it's like something like five percent of people. I think will, will give me money every now and again. Yeah. Um, and I'm sort of cool with that. That's fine. But like some people, every now and again, oh, you know, I've realised I've listened to you know a hundred hours of you this year <laughs> you know is can i give you a pound you know that we if everyone did that that's the crazy thing about it if everybody just if everyone who listened to your podcast said i'm going to give you a pound a year yeah that'd be but if it was a month you know, if everyone gave me a pound a month who listened to my podcasts that's like you know there's four podcasts a week at least in, 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 you don't include the the weird ones um, <laughs> then, then you know that would be enough to make I could make a feature film by the end of the year. So it's it's that that's the I guess that's I tried that well I tried doing it for nothing, which I liked and I did it for a long time doing it for nothing. I tried doing it with audience you know people paying so doing basically Patreon but not quite my own version of that. Uh, and and Kickstarter's worked very well for me as a just a way to generate a lump sum every now and again. Uh, but then that's you know I think at the end of the day the adverts already kind of go oh okay that will that will immediately mean that next year we can as well as doing this podcast we're doing we can do this much more ambitious podcast so you know it's you can sort of see it immediately so it it, it works if people want to give me a pound a month <laughs> then that would then I wouldn't need to do any of the rest of it speaking of giving you a pound a month where can people find you online well go to uh, richtone.com uh, rahulastaba.co.uk is uh, where all the podcast stuff is um, but you know like it's all going fine as well so I'm very happy for people to listen for nothing and if, they, if people come and see you know, if people just support the stuff by coming to see the live gigs that's the that's the ultimate you do a good live gig that's the ultimate thing so, well yeah. I was very confused by your robot sex question <laughs> now then people were like oh yeah that's his thing and I was like okay uh, thank you so much for having oh, no, me no thanks for having me it's been very nice it was, the tea was it got better as, you, as, it, as it went on as well oh, very nice tea it grew on you it did
turns around for to view her frames, crying down your doffers, cry up your hands, lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. And when the boss he looks round the door, tie your hands up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie your hands up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day.